I kind of hope not as well. We need a better branding. Ryan, give it, give us a better brand than cold open. That's like the industry standard term. Yeah, but so I want it. I want the, you know what? You always say this to me. Better is always possible, Ryan. So All right. give um, me, give me, give me one better. Give me one better. We're doing the Mr. Miyagi uh, like healing technique. Wait, you don't know the name of the name that you're giving me? <laughs> I don't know. I always hear you rubbing your hands together, and that's that's the yeah. I'm getting ready to. I'm warming does. up my hands for like the sinking claps. Because do hands have to be warm for you to do that? That's just something I do. I mean, if they were cold, that's true. It, it would be a bit harder to that's clap. True. Yeah. <laughs> no. Maybe I don't know. Ask your doctor if, like, having cold if, hands during a audio sync clap. If clapping is right for you. If, if it's right for you. Side effects include, like... Immediate death. Oh, my God. Immediate death? Immediate. Good thing I've been warming up my hands. Yeah, I guess I've been doing this wrong. I'm going to die immediately? Hello, welcome to Day One Patch Podcast, episode 389. I'm your host, Ryan Johnson. Uh, some of the, Oh, I forgot to introduce you guys. Tim Spence. I'm doing? here. As much uh, as you, don't, you want to forget my existence or whatever. I don't know. Matt Lawrence, I was ready to go right into the top stories. Yeah, we got some top stories. Into it. We don't actually have top stories. We got some oh. stories. We have all of the best news that you've ever heard. Well, it, it, like there's like a vacuum right before E3 or the E3 time period, I should say. But so this there, there is no E3. E3's dead. Yeah, but there's no oh. games coming out like kind of right in this in this time, and there's like a, a, a so the news kind of dies down and slows down right before all the announcements come flooding in, and our minds explode. Um, oh, so the news is is a little strange right now. But Matt, we got Matt here to cover it. Hell yeah! What am I? I don't know what I'm covering though. I just realized you said you got to cover it. I thought you were just introducing me, so. I got a little fired I am. up. No, I am. Oh, okay. I don't know what I'm covering, but I am here. Yes. <laughs> okay. This, uh, is not, this is not investment advice. We're going to start oh, okay. off with um, <laughs> what we're playing. Tim, what are you playing? Um, I have been playing uh, Tunic most of this week, which is a little indie game that I actually saw um, a while ago because some of the like YouTuber channels that I've been watching for a while that cover mostly monster hunter stuff, but they've kind of branched into other video game news. Um, they covered it a while ago and, uh, it, it is very reminiscent of like the old Zelda games, but also kind of some like dark Soulsy combat ish sort of, I think anything that has a somewhat competent strategic style of, uh, combat in it just gets compared to dark souls. Oh yeah. For um, sure. But that being said, it's it is good. It is quite good, um, and it's got a charming little art style. It's kind of like that. Being poly. said, it's like Dark Souls. It's like Dark Souls with its charming art style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, it, it, I think a lot of people are like disarmed by it because it looks like cute and charming and sort of more about like, Oh, your little Fox character with your sword and shield and you're fighting enemies in a very, like it's like an isometric top down world. Um, and I just finished playing like death's door. Not that long ago, either like a couple of weeks ago and, uh, similar, similar vibe to it where you've got your dodge rolling and you've got your like stamina management stuff. Tunic is cool. Cause there's like a bunch of different, um, like tools that you find 
um you start off you can get like the an, like a little ice knife and then you can get like a fire wand and it's all very reminiscent of the old zelda games um in terms of like finding equipment and then it like uses your magic meter to use it um one thing that i found uh that i won't spoil in case anyone's listening it's kind of a later game thing that you find but it still uses magic and it is not the kind of thing that you would think uses magic um but it's really quite funny and very strong too but um it's i i also get big fez vibes from it because there's a lot of like secret solving and the one i think the coolest thing about the game is the uh as you go through the game you find these little what what would be like tutorial like little blip type things but it uh it treats them as like an old school game manual Back in our day, when we used to buy a video game, you'd bring the box home and there'd be a little manual How in there. Crazy is that? The they don't uh, they don't do that anymore, but it's okay because it saves on paper, save the trees. And uh, but yeah, you you basically as you go around the world, um, some are obvious, some are not obvious. But you collect these pages basically of a manual, and then you can pull this manual up, and it's got everything from like area maps in it to like basically simulating like the back pages of a manual where they would leave you a couple of blank pages to write notes and stuff. And it's like that, but it's got notes written in it already. And the game honestly is even more cryptic than dark souls in that the manual is mostly written in like a runic language. It's not really in like, for my example, English playing the game in English, very few words are actually in English in the manual. So you have to kind of use like context clues and the visuals of the uh, of what's in the in the book to kind of guess at what they mean. And so, for example, like you can get these in the same way in like Elden Ring, for example, you get the little talismans that you can equip. You can find similar things in Tunic, but it's not like you can hover over an item in your inventory or a piece of equipment or whatever and then like press X and pull up the information screen that tells you what it does. Like you Mm -hmm. just equip it and then that's it. Maybe you'll find out what it does through context clues. Um, but unless you find a page of a manual that tells you exactly what it does, you don't know what it does. So I'm at the end of this game. I don't know what half of the things that I have in my inventory do because (laughs) either I haven't figured it out through context or experimentation or the uh, the game hasn't like told me like I haven't found the page that says what it does. I found for some things, but not everything. And uh, one of the um, one of the like some of the things are super easy. Like there's one of the talismans I equipped that's like a little heart, and then one of the uh, like pages that I found had that talisman symbol. And then it's like in the rune language, it's like blah blah blah, fifteen percent, blah blah blah, HP. And I'm like, okay, I have literally no idea what that means. But then I, as I equipped it and then I kept playing through the game, I was like fighting enemies and then enemies suddenly started dropping hearts that restore 15% of your health. So I was like, oh, okay, so that's what this talisman does. So it was a pretty easy, like one to figure out what it does. Um, but then there have been other things where sort of because I know other games in the genre, I just kind of knew inherently what they did. Like there is the same thing as the, uh, 
for those that are familiar with Dark Souls, like the red tier stone ring and the blue tier stone ring, which basically when your health is at a critical level, it gives you a defense boost or a health boost, or not a health boost, a defense boost or an attack boost. So that's used primarily in like speedruns where they may just stay at low health all the time and they don't uh, ever get hit, but they get the damage boost from the from the red tier stone ring thing. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a very it's a really charming game. You you get into it fairly easily, I would say, um, and you kind of learn the ins and outs of the game pretty quickly. But the difficulty does ramp up. Um, but it, it's, it's exactly like my kind of game. Like it, you just, if you die, you just get right back into it. You try again, you try again, you try again. Um, and just really like try to learn and try different strategies in different places. It's very, uh, it's pretty rewarding, but I will say that literally, I was just saying this earlier before the, before we started recording, like I'm at the last boss and it is probably the hardest boss in any game I've ever fought. And I've beaten almost every FromSoft game. <laughs> like it's harder than all of Elden Ring for sure. Wow. Um, the only other thing that I would compare it to and like that's the funny thing about FromSoft games is like I find everybody's got their wall that they find like people you know they, they I was in a friend's stream the other day and they were talking about Elden Ring and one of the people there was like oh yeah this game is like um, some of these bosses are like just impossible like I try and I try and I try and I can't beat them and then other people are like, oh, yeah, well, don't worry about Tim, though, because he's like a Souls veteran. So he, he you're not going to like <laughs> you're not going to like talking to him about it because he didn't have a problem with it. But at the same time, like things that are hard for me, like there are bosses in them that I have to try over and over again on, like at the end of Bloodborne, the Orphan of Costs, that's like a pretty well known fight for being really hard. It took me a lot of tries to beat that fight. And then I have friends who beat it first try, like going in blind. So just some things you know, certain bosses punish certain playstyles, and I definitely have a very like aggressive playstyle in in those games. And if I come across an enemy that punishes that playstyle, then then I, I have a really hard time with it. So you really have to kind of be able to switch up your uh, your playstyle. I find depending on what uh, what you're fighting. But how do you rank Bloodborne in terms of difficulty amongst the the Soulsborne games? Overall, um, I think it depends what type of like Soulsborne game from soft game player you are. Like, I know that Dark Souls really fostered a sense of really slow gameplay because the game really rewards <clears throat> putting on really heavy armor, hiding behind a big shield, and then just like trying to tank any hit and then get a hit in, and then tank a hit, get a hit in, tank a hit, get a hit in. So it's a really slow defensive playstyle. Um, and with Bloodborne, it's really the exact opposite. Like, there's mm -hmm. no shields to hide behind. You have to dodge everything. Um, there, there is that crappy wooden shield. <laughs> there is a wooden shield in the game, but then it kind of it kind of is a bit of a dig at at Dark Souls, I think, mm -hmm. in the item description, because it says something about like a hunter would never stoop so low as to hide behind something <laughs> flimsy like this, or something like that. Yeah. Or like a hunter wouldn't be well, wouldn't be very smart to hide behind this shield, or something like that. Um. In terms of difficulty, like if you're the kind of player where when you're playing Elden Ring, Sekiro, Dark Souls, um, and you prefer a more like dodging rather than blocking kind of playstyle, I would say that Bloodborne is probably it's definitely harder than Dark Souls. 
I don't think Dark Souls is that hard. I find Dark Souls, honestly, to probably be the easiest of all the entries. I haven't really played Dark Souls 2 enough to really rate it. Dark Souls 3 I found kind of hard. I found it more punishing than Dark Souls 1. Um, Bloodborne's pretty forgiving in that there's like the rally mechanic, so you can like get your health back if you take a hit, but then you're just I love that so much. back up in their face and getting aggressive. And it's cool that they put that into Elden Ring too. Um, but yeah, I'd, I would say that Bloodborne's probably the most forgiving because you can carry so many healing items. Yeah. And it's really just about like getting hits, like taking hits, giving hits, taking hits, giving hits, taking hits, giving hits. Um, and just really fast paced gameplay style. It's probably a lot harder for those that prefer to take it more slowly or those who like would do more like magic playthroughs through a game like Dark Souls or Elden Ring. Um, but I mean, a lot of people think that Bloodborne is like the best, the absolute best. I'd um, say it's more fun. I enjoy the combat a lot more in Bloodborne. Mm, yeah, I can see that. The trick weapons are kind of cool too. They're very cool. Yeah. Bloodborne was really a game where I like wanted to try so many different weapons because they all seemed so unique and different. Like it's not like Dark Souls where it's like, oh, you got a club. Well, there's seven different types of clubs and they all have the same moveset. You know, mm-hmm. Elden Ring is a little bit like that, too, where you have your different yeah. types of weapons and they, for the most part, all have the same moveset, except for a few examples. There's like two halberds that have a different moveset compared to every other halberd and like two great swords that have a different moveset compared to every other great sword. Um, so. The description of the wooden shield says a crude wooden shield used by the masses who have arisen to join the hunt. Hunters do not normally employ shields, ineffectual against the strength of the beasts as they tend to be. Shields are nice, but not if they engender passivity. That's what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. like shields are okay, but not if you're going to hide behind them all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, it's funny. But yeah, and I only recently played through Bloodborne for the first time. It was like a year mm-hmm. ago or two years ago. Um it is really solid though. It definitely holds up for sure. Like I under, I understand all the hype about, uh, about bloodborne, but yeah. Uh, try tunic. If that's your kind of thing, it's free on game pass, which is why I picked it up. Um, it's, it's pretty good. My only complaint really with the game is that the boss fights are not like FromSoft games in that with FromSoft you can kind of like, you get used to the ebb and flow of a boss's moves. Like you can kind of bait out certain attacks and then just learn how to how to punish them kind of thing. Um, the bosses in this don't seem to respond to you like being in the same position over and over again in a fight. Like they'll they'll do different moves every time. And certain bosses have a lot of um, like hard to avoid moves. One of the first like main bosses that you come across in the game has a move where it fires a lot of lasers at you rapidly. And when it's doing that, you can't you can't hold your shield up to block it all because it fires long enough that it'll just consume all your stamina and then just rip your health apart. Um, and you can't get close to it because it'll just look down at you and keep shooting you. You can't be far away from it because it'll just keep shooting you. You can't keep dodging it because you'll run out of stamina. So basically all you have to do is find like a pillar in the arena and hide behind it until it stops doing that attack. Like there's no punishing that attack. You just have to hide from it. And that boss took me a lot of tries, five or six tries, I would say, because 
all for a lot of those attempts, it just kept spamming that attack. So there was nothing I could do. Like I had to just sit there and wait. And then it would stop and I'd be like, okay, and then I'd come back out of cover. And it would do it again, so I'd go back in cover. And then I had to go back out of cover. Then it started doing it, so I'd go back into cover. <laughs> and I was just like, this is not a fun fight. Like this is boring. Like, why is it just spamming the same attack? You know? So mm-hmm. and it and it didn't matter. And I didn't even know that it had that attack because on my first attempt, which was actually pretty good, I think I got it down to like only a quarter of its health left. Um, it never used it. It kept using actually really easy moves to punish. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a shame. So that's really my only complaint with Tunic is that uh, a lot of the boss fights can feel like a slog because you can't really master the fight. I would say you're in a constant mm-hmm. state of needing to adapt because it could use any of its moves at any given time. Whereas with FromSoft, there's a little more nuance to it where you you know you get close to bait out an attack and then you dodge away from it and then wait for their big opening and then punish it. And this game doesn't seem to do that. But aside from that, very solid game. If you liked the puzzle solving in Fez, where you kind of have to like piece really cryptic things together, um, that's satisfying. And then it's kind of like the old Zelda games where uh, it's just this big overworld. You have no real explanation other than you have a sword and go figure it out. But uh, yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Matt, what have you been up to? What? Um, I'm doing the doing the usual, I suppose. So I've been doing a little bit of the Fortnite, uh, a little bit of the golf. Um, we tried out. Uh, it was free on PlayStation. We tried out that Tribes of Midgard, which is sort of the big new thing I tried. Um, pretty interesting. I'm not super big on roguelikes, but I don't mind this game. So this game's kind of like you have a base and you can build it up. You can. There's different merchants, so there's you know, armor merchant and a tinker, which is like a crafting merchant, and a weapons one, and there's like uh, like one that has traps and stuff like this. And there's also different buildings, like mines and farms and stuff like this. And they bring you passive income, and you can also go out into the world, which is quite large if the zooming out of the map and the fog of war is to be believed, because we haven't gone too far yet. Um, basically every night you, your base would come under attack. There's a tree in the middle of it. And if the tree gets killed, then you lose. And every few days, a thing called a Jotun, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, gets spawned and it slowly is in our experience, it always has spawned far away, probably about two or three days away. And it slowly walks towards your base. So it tells you the direction you can go exploring and find him and do damage to him early. Cause he does not heal, or at least none of the ones we've seen have healed yet. Um, or you can sort of let him come to your base and then, you know, you're, it's kind of like, Hey, all my defenses and stuff are here. But if he breaks through, then, you know, my, I'm done. Uh, when you're done, you're done. Uh, you can also just leave as I, as I accidentally learned the other night, you can also just leave and cash <laughs> out at any time or not any time. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but it's that some like crystal shrine thing. Um, but it's a pretty cool game. Uh, it's pretty difficult and, you know, we don't really know what to do at first, but, um, you know, we, we've tossed around different strategies. We've tossed around different things. And you guys in the last session, which is which we still have one that's ongoing, is you guys in the last session, we, we sort of figured it out, kind of. Uh, we've never gotten past a second Jotun. Um, usually we die in between the first and the second Jotun. Usually we kill the first one. And we've gotten past the second one for the first time. Uh, I've gone rather far away from sort of, let's say, the first green grass area. And I'm in sort of like a yellowy green grass area now. There's like these uh, ash beaches around and stuff like this. I've, I've, I've experimented with a bunch of stuff too. I've experimented with the ships. I've experimented with uh, the building a little bit. So I'm kind of, kind of like 
got my bearings. Uh, you guys were sort of kind of sort of in charge of uh, the buildings. You guys were choosing what to build and I would kind of be I'd be running around at the, out in the wilderness and I'd come back with these huge halls of resources. You guys would, too, as well. And um, we'd like put the buildings together. So that was pretty cool. Um, it's pretty fun. I would like wouldn't mind sticking with it and like potentially trying to beat it if that's a thing. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's surprising that I'm enjoying it. I'm not like a huge, like I said, like a huge roguelike person. I'm more of a fan of a game where I do a bunch of work and then that work is shown in some way where it's like, maybe I can now make a kick-ass base or, you know, I've cleared out an area of a city or something, or I've, I have like just a really cool, uh, base or I've, uh, I have some really cool gear or whatever it is. Um, so this is definitely different, but I think one thing holds true is I, I think in the early days, the first couple of sessions we tried, I said like, guys, I think this game is a haul ass game. Like, I don't think we should be standing around at any point. I think we should just be running around hauling as constantly gathering things. And I don't know for sure if that's correct, but I do still believe that because I've been hauling ass the entire time. Like you guys have been defending the base, stuff like this. So you guys are constantly busy with the base, constantly busy around the base as well. Obviously, you're not always in the base. And then I've been just running around exploring and die, you know, die over and over again and stuff like this. So finding new lands and pushing our, our border out. Um, and then Marty's helped with that a couple of times. I've been getting more uh, fast travel points and stuff like this, fast travel shrines, I think they're called or something. But it's pretty fun. It's pretty good that way. Um, I can definitely see the game getting like like stupidly difficult and us like it's kind of like the whole Fortnite thing where uh, people will say like, oh, you know, I've been practicing at this game for so long and I get to the end circle and then I just die and I don't get it. Like I have all this practice and I'm like, yeah, of course, because you have all your practice from the beginning through mid to end game and you have the least amount of practice at end game. And I kind of feel like this game is going to become the same thing where like our late game now is like the second Jotun on. And so we're going to probably underestimate one of these waves. They're going to come in and just completely destroy us. And that and that's the roguelike in it. Right. Then we'll restart a world and be like, OK, this time we need silver faster and stuff like this. Um, so as those moments like happen further and further into the game, I could see myself potentially losing interest. But for the time being, I'm having quite a bit of fun. Um other than Tribes of Midgard, I've been doing, I've uh, been continuing Trek to Yomi. So uh, we did a, or, uh, or Tim rather did a, like a one, one off stream. I think you said, right? Like you did it one session. Yeah. yeah I played the um, thing. Yeah. So I thought, okay, like, like I'm pretty far, or at least I thought I was. So like, I'll, I'll keep going. And I've been doing just little short sessions type of thing. Um, and I've done two short sessions so far uh, and I'm pretty far. I've been talking to Tim about it. It's, that game gets pretty fucking whack, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, it goes in a direction I did not expect, but I do enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, um, I would say the same thing. <laughs> I don't know whether we want to do spoilers. Ryan, do you care? Spoilers what, sorry? Trek to Yomi. Oh, no. Okay, so like Trek to Yomi, uh, I am, so like Tim, I am at this, I just made the second choice. Mm-hmm. So I've I've killed this big boss guy in the underworld or Yomi, I believe. I don't know Japanese culture too. Also, I've killed I've killed this 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 boss guy and he sort of once you defeat him, he kind of turns into the ghost of your sensei and then he offers you a choice. So basically there's this game goes from you're in the real world, you're dealing with a real military situation, you know, disaster strikes, you get hit, presumably you die. 
and then you end up in the afterlife. But the afterlife is not presented in such a way where it's like you are now dead. You are in the afterlife. It presents itself in the way of your uh, although dead off screen, I suppose. But your dead off screen wife appears and she's acting really bizarre. She's not talking to you. She keeps walking away and you're chasing her and you chase her through this ever increasingly scary village. And it's almost like zombies at this point where people are completely manic and some people are fighting the like fighting being manic. And they're even having conversations like I couldn't stop myself. I just kept eating. And they're like, that means you're taken like us. And like, there's like all this crazy mm-hmm. shit happening. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fucked. There's people screaming and shit. It's, and so you slowly start to learn, okay, yeah, this is the, you know, this is the afterlife and you're given a choice. Uh, you, you catch up to your wife, you kill this boss, this boss, uh, goes away and it materializes as a ghost of your wife and you get a choice. You get to stay with her. I think her name is Aiko or Aiko. Um, Aiko, uh, You get to stay with her, get to go after the big bad, which is like this bandit, this recurring bandit character or something else. I don't remember what the other one is. Um, But uh, so I chose stay with, stay with her. You go through a bit more of the game. You hit the sensei one, and then you get you kind of get the same choices if memory serves, but they're in different wording. And yeah, so the choices I like, are effectively like choose love, choose balance, like the honorable choice, like upholding your uh, your code as samurai, or choose revenge. Right. Um, so. The reason why, so I, I chose the wife both times. The reason why I did that is because the the big bad, he says, um, you know, you are nothing without balance or something like that. And the way I took that personally was that my character has always lived according to this code. He's trying to do the right thing. He like tried to go help this other village and it blew up in his face and he's dead and he like abandoned his wife. And so my thought was the balance that this guy is sort of preaching, not to necessarily, you know, fully believe the enemy but the balance of this guy's preaching considering he had survived all this time um following a, another story event earlier in the game is that i was like okay maybe this game is kind of pushing me toward or like the way i thought of it was like the balance is supposed to be like yeah you have like your code and all this but like you don't always need to do that that's the way i took it like i don't know if that's right i feel like i'm i'm possibly at the bad end of the spectrum Cause like even the sensei said he's disappointed, but I was like, maybe that's okay in this particular like underworld instance. I don't know. Um, that boss was a pain in the ass though. Uh, the boss with the sensei was, I had trouble with him because in almost every instance, or at least instances I've noticed when you, when your guy like sort of wins his back, he's taking damage. And I noticed when I was blocking this boss, I wasn't, like I would wince, but I wouldn't take damage. But for the first few tries, I thought I was taking damage. And I, so I kept trying to not block and I was trying to, you know, try different strategies to get around his weapon. Cause there are some attacks that are not blockable, but some are. And then I realized at some point I was like, wait a second, my guy kind of like winced back cause it was a heavy hit, but I took literally zero damage. And then that changed my whole strategy. And then a few tries after that, I was good to go. Um, so that, that's literally where I ended it. I made the choice, went to the next shrine, which is maybe a screen or two over, and then I saved, and that was it. So, I mean, I am presume I'm pretty close, because I think the guy literally said your final test awaits or something. Um, cool little game, though. Like like even Tim was saying, like went in a direction that <laughs> went in a friggin' weird direction. Um, one complaint, probably two complaints, I'd say. One is, is that they added puzzles and stuff, and these choices... 
And the choices, I think, are passable. Like, it's fine. But the puzzles were added. And they were added very late in the game in which there were no puzzles up to that point. And I kind of just felt like they were time wasters. There's one in particular that really stands out. Or there's one type in particular where there's three symbols. And you basically have, like, the... There's like three rings. It's almost like the same thing as like on Skyrim where you have like the claws. You have to like match up the symbols. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And but like without the claw, it's just you see these symbols in the world and then you just like roll these wheels around until you line up the symbols correctly. And then the the door or the bridge rebuilds itself or like whatever, because now we're in the supernatural world. There's one other one, too. It really pissed me off where I went down there and there was like a little shiny icon. I click a button on it and a flood started and I died the first time because I didn't realize I was supposed to get in the boat fast enough. And when I realized that the boat had already had kind of gone up and the water over my head and I died. And I kind of thought that, that was pretty stupid because I was like, this is something that like, is just a, it's just a time waster. You know, there's no indicator. Like, yeah, it's like, a beginner's trap. Yeah. It's like, it's like, this is kind of like, okay, this game is like pretty polished up to this point, pretty well thought out. And then it's sort of like, well, we wanted the player to have like an extra 10 minutes, you know, um, or an extra five minutes or whatever, because uh, you never had to deal with that before. And uh, the little like flashy icon thing I thought was a collectible. Like I thought I was grabbing a collectible. So I was like, oh, OK. And I press X on it or whatever. And then boom, I'm like stuck. <laughs> I'm stuck in this trap. I mean, whatever, I guess. Like it's not like a huge problem, but it is still like, OK. Um, and then it heard, the, uh, felt very like limbo to me because limbo is a game of all just beginners traps. Like it's you can go through it very quickly. If you've uh, if you've played Limbo before and you know what you're doing, but it's uh, it's all it's all a series of beginner's traps, and um, it that just felt like a puzzle to me where it's like you you have to know that you have to cut the rope on the boat first and then hit the switch and get in the boat because if you hit the switch, water starts rising and you're like oh what's happening and then before you realize it you drown, and then so you go back the next time and it's like okay. Hit the switch, get in the boat, and then the boat starts to go up. But then you realize, oh, it's there's connected. It's connected to a rope, and then as the water keeps rising, the boat can't go any higher because it's being tied down. You fall in the water again. You die again. So then you go back the third time, and you and then you go, <laughs> okay, have to cut the rope, then hit the switch, then get in the boat. But um, yeah, and the worst part of it too is that to get back there is like it's a huge run back to get to that point. Yep, from the last cut from the last uh, checkpoint. So. Yeah, that's definitely a pain in the ass. It's uh that's it's weird because like they felt very shoehorned in. It's like why are there these puzzles yeah. in a game that up to this point, like through the first half or sixty percent of the game, has not been puzzles at all. All action. All all action yeah. and story. Very that's strange. It. The one thing too I find is, you know, there's been the odd screen. I think you mentioned this last week too. Well, there's like been the odd, say, different scenes. So I'm going to call them screens, like where, you know, you, you walk to the end of the screen, another screen appears type of thing. It's like a fixed camera angle. And mm-hmm. like, you know, some of the enemy positions and sometimes your positions kind of bullshit. Uh, I definitely had a couple where I couldn't fucking see what was happening because for some reason the camera angles way the hell back, almost like with like, uh, like a wide angle camera. And I'm like, where am I? Like, what am I walking into? And I'm just sort of like stumbling mm. into a wall to kind of get down these stairs or something. Um, and then they add like time savers, which is interesting. So it's like, let's say I walk in to, a, to an area. I, and there's two paths. So I use the shrine in the area to save and I go down the left path, which is a side path, go down there, pick up all the upgrades and collectibles that are down there. 
come back to the main room with the shrine. I can't hit the shrine again because it's a one use only. And then I go up the path and there's a boss there and then the boss kills me. So it's like, okay, the shortcut there is that they they even though I saved via the shrine before I got the collectibles, the collectibles are still in my inventory when I respawn. So that's nice because I confirmed that with a couple of times when I went down the side path. So that, that's that's good. Um, but then there's weird ones where, like, for example, this one boss that I just got stuck on, which was the sensei. He um, he like he would kill me, obviously, because he's a pretty hard boss. So I would like, you know, learn to fight him and learn his things. And every time I respond, I respond right below a little ledge I had to climb up. So I always had to like run up to the ledge, do the little like like scurry up the ledge and then run up the hill to his place. And I kind of felt like, you know, they've clearly they clearly made it so that you don't have to repeat stuff too much, which is nice. But then why why are there still these runs, like you said, to the puzzle or in this case to the boss? Why do these runs exist? They just seem kind of bizarre like they're kind of like you said kind of shoehorned in or maybe this was like a bit of of like they didn't expect people to die here but like he's a pretty tough boss like the boss before him i just fucking walked right through and we talked a bunch of shit and i just killed him so (laughs) um yeah uh one thing though tim is i'm glad you mentioned it uh i completely forgot about the tutorial teaching me how to stun people and so after you said Mm -hmm. well yeah if you do these like certain combos you stun them and then you get your health back that's helped immensely uh, yep. Which is nice because I, I kept doing just like the safest and fastest combos to get back into like a block or to get back to recover health, uh, which doesn't work with some of these enemies. Some of these enemies are like super uh, aggressive, lots of aggro, if you will. So, um, yeah, so like it's it's really improved me. So, but yeah, uh, I mean, Trek to Yomi, I'm almost done it, presumably pretty good, especially Game Pass. Like if you're into old samurai movies, especially like I'm not super into them. I just kind of like the style of them, like when I do see little clips here and there. So, like, if you're really into them, like, this is a really good one, uh, like a really good game to try out, I'd say. Uh, I'd still recommend it for sure. Like, it's it, like it's currently sitting at maybe like an eight ish out of ten for me, I'd say. Um, very comments, satisfying, though. It, like, it's very satisfying. Yeah. For, for what it is, like, it's very stylish. It's very of itself. It has a very unique feel to it. Um, but, yeah, there are definitely weird kind of like ch- design choices that seem to really only like water down the experience rather than elevate it right after you'd show pieces too. Like the whole thing where you're slowly getting going into the underworld effectively is like super cool. It's like, Jesus, what the fuck? Like, where am I? And I, I just thought the game had turned into a zombie game. I had no idea this was an underworld thing. You know, maybe people who are more, more versed in Japanese culture might have recognized it, but I certainly didn't. And so I was being taken for a ride and the game had to explain it to me. And I was like, Jesus, like this is pretty crazy. Especially some of those conversations, people screaming and stuff. It's like, God, this is like pretty, uns- this is pretty unsettling sometimes. <laughs> it's oh, a bit I, folklore, yeah. It, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, it's a pretty cool way to tell a story. I was going to ask you one question, Tim, though. Um, I noticed, so I don't know whether it's just the backwards combos or even just some of the combos. I'm finding that like there's some bullshit for sure where <laughs> I try to do like a combo and I'm clicking the fucking buttons correctly. Like I've done, you know, this combo 30,000 times and I like do this combo perfectly, but it's like my guy waits for an extra second to see if the enemy is going to attack. And then the guy just goes like, and I'm dead. I'm like, fuck, like I did a combo before you started moving. My guy didn't fucking move and I'm dead. Um, I don't know if I had many input issues like that. The issues that I had was my, I'm using my steel series controller. And for what I'm noticing for a lot of indie games is that the indie games set absolutely zero dead zone on the control stick. So if you ah. only extremely slightly move your control stick in a direction, 
it reads that input. And that was the case for Chuck to Yomi for me. And the problem with that is that combos rely on you hitting up or down in combination with a button press to like start mm -hmm. a combo. So as I'm trying to move like left and right and then try to do like a combo or an attack or whatever, my guy, because of the control stick, thinks that I'm like holding down or holding up. And I kept doing the wrong combos and it kept screwing me over when I'm like trying to do certain combos against certain enemies. Um, so that was a shame. But uh, the. Uh, I mean, that that largely can be chalked up to the controller, not so much the game. I just wish there was some sort of like game. Option that I had to change the dead zone. Um. But that's that, large, that really sucks. it's a pretty niche uh, issue, but it was unfortunate. But um, yeah, I, I didn't find any issues with like timing. I did find the game did eat some input sometimes. So if I tried to turn around or I tried to, to block or dodge or whatever. Yes. I found it unresponsive some of the time. That's the one I always had trouble with. Or like, that's the number one thing is, is like there's a like a teleporting ghost guy where he's like, he's over here and then he's over there and then he's over here. That's literally his intro. Mm -hmm. And usually what I'll do is like, and usually trick him kind of. So like I fight him, I like pre almost pretend I'm fighting him up front and then I intentionally do a real big attack, but I'm far, I'm too far away and the AI will teleport behind me and he'll stand there for a second. And then I do this attack where like in the later combos, like you're saying up or down in the later combos, you can also use left and right for the combos. And I do this like combo where I like, like go back, give him one quick whack and then a real big one and that stuns him and it kills him. And that almost always kills this guy. But I noticed that sometimes it, it like you said, it eats the input. So usually always on the backwards attack eats the input for whatever reason. Like maybe it doesn't detect the enemy there or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm just fucking dead because this game is like, like I said, like very humbling sometimes. And you're just like, Oh, got a, I got, now I got comboed. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, I mean, other than that, though, like, I mean, these are, you know, these are gripes, but I mean, gripes that are that happen like almost every game. It's almost like saying like the parkouring in Assassin's Creed isn't perfect. I mean, yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, check to Yomi um, that. But that's uh, that, that's what I've been playing. Uh, not too much for me. Did some Horizon. Uh, tried to write on the, like zero, whatever. Horizon Forbidden West. OK. I tried it out on the TV with like proper HDR and uh, I don't know, good. man, HDR. I've been, I've been struggling with HDR for a long time. Um, HDR kind of hurts my eyes <laughs> oh. because it cranks the brightness of your display. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, it's a little eye straining to play it for too long. And I also think, I think horizon for Ben West, I think they're really kind of pushing the ps5 and it doesn't have the best frame rates and so Ooh. you got you got this kind of chunky game with the big bright you know hdr turned on and i was just like oh my god i have a like i have a like a, a question almost and i don't think we'd have the answer necessarily but i wonder if games because like it's kind of if that game is pushing the ps5 like that's a little bit worrisome if you're already pushing it but um, that game looks gorgeous, though. What I was going to say, though, is, is this a case of they built it for PS4 and PS5, and then for the PS5, they just cranked everything and didn't necessarily test all the cranks. Like, if you were building this for PS5, you would, like, build it for PS5 and then crank it up slowly in your testing, I would assume. I don't know. 
But it's just this like they were like, ah, oh, it's a PS5, just crank her to 11 when it should be at like a 10 or a 9 or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. Um, maybe I've just gotten used to 60 frames per second. And so when playing like a really graphical intensive game at 30, I can now kind of notice it more. I don't know. Is it, is it locked to 30? I don't think anything is locked, but I think you can choose like performance mode or visual mode, mm. right? And visual mode sets it down to a, a, around 30, I guess. Um, but I, but I, for some reason with that game, I can really kind of notice it's at 30 or around 30. Um, so, but it, it looks fantastic though. Like, I, like it's, it's pretty, pretty damn gorgeous. And the facial animations are bizarrely accurate. Um, whatever they're doing with the mocapping on on faces is is pretty cool. <clears throat> I haven't heard anyone really talk about this other than I've listened to a couple of podcasts where they said like, well, we started the started it, and then something else, a lot of the Elden, Ring. Elden Ring came in. Elden Ring took over then, everything, yeah. And then it just it just never went back. No one went back. Same with Ghostwire yeah. Tokyo, kind of usually the similar similar circumstance. Sad sad state of affairs. And then yeah, I did the tribes of Midgar with you. Start eating a start eating a like a piece of bread or something over there. <laughs> start eating a cracker, yeah. <laughs> start eating a cracker right during your part where you're coming in. Yeah, sorry. It's really dry too. <laughs> <laughs> like the perfect, the perfect fucking like the perfectly wrong thing to do at that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought you would talk a little more. What? Well, how much you uh whatever you're talking about. He doesn't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, choke, you hear this guy, Tim? You hear him? No, not not very well. He's eating the cracker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah, I've been enjoying Tribes of Midgard. Um, I, I, I'm curious though how much you can upgrade the the stuff, um, and how long a game lasts. Because if you if you only upgrade like the turret towers, or the arrow towers rather, uh, I don't know, let's say five times, but the game keeps going. What do you what do you do to keep fighting things, you know? I honestly think it is going to be like Marty made a good observation. Like he was saying, like, hey, you know, we probably should get better weapons. So that's kind of why I, that, that's kind of what I was hauling ass for last time. I was hauling ass for everything. Um, like I'll cut down every tree on my way to the to the metal that I'm going to use for the next sword. But getting that one sword, uh, I don't remember what it was, but like it's a better sword than I've ever, than I've ever had really helped against that Jotun. Like I mm. got him down by 25 percent. Before you guys showed up alone, and I wasn't yeah. just fighting him because obviously he has minions and crap. So, I guess the worry is that um, they they're sending you know more difficult like hordes at us. So we gotta we gotta really keep on upgrading and stuff. Oh yeah, gotta haul ass. I I I'm full. I'm still fully agree or fully with that theory that you just have to run nonstop yeah. all the time. And then, other than that, uh, played a bit of FIFA, <laughs> which is uh, hilarious. Me and Matt were on the PS5, and uh, our, our friends uh, Wes and Marty were on PS4, and that we had drastically different experiences when we booted up that game. <laughs> um, me and Matt were in France and and getting breakfast or something, and waking up late. And, creating our character in Mario and Wes were in a game instantly (laughs) (laughs) so what we found out I guess is there are two different versions and I guess um, I guess the PS4 version doesn't really have the kind of story mode type of deal with the characters and stuff Um, and they're not not yet but 
apparently it's coming, but they're not. Uh, it's not currently cross-gen compatible, so we couldn't even play with them. You ended up downloading the PS4 version. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not a soccer person. Uh, I'm probably going to just delete it. I'm not even going to deal with it. I used to like FIFA, but I think it's because it was simpler back then. It's like, oh, sure, I'll play around a soccer on my PlayStation or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I mean, Anthony Joshua showed up in one of those cutscenes, and like one of the Gucci guys, I think, started up and stuff like this. So, like, you know up all the like names this. of these people? I know, I know who Anthony Joshua is. Yeah, yeah um, maybe yeah. he's like a he's like a heavyweight boxer, heavyweight fighter. Um, he was in he FIFA. Like, yeah, he showed up in when there's like that part where after you're done playing, you, in the PS5 version, you go up to sort of like a suite where it's like one of those reserved rooms up in up in the stands, mm. and all those people are around you. And I'm assu- I'm assuming a bunch of them are famous people. One of them looked like one of the people from Gucci. I think I'm not 100 percent on that one. And the other guy was definitely Anthony's Anthony Joshua. So because I've worked on a project recently where I had I had to like make a profile for him on a site type of thing. So like I know him like for sure. I've seen his face like mm-hmm. hundred times at this point. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's basically it. Um, not doing too much. Fortnite, as always, Overwatch event just started. So just gaming like usual. Uh, all right, let's hop into the stories for this week. Um, this is probably the biggest news of the week. Uh, Ubisoft Plus is coming to PlayStation Plus servers and some IGN. Um, so Ubisoft Plus will be available on PlayStation in the form of Ubisoft Plus Classics, which comes bundled with PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium tiers. This version of Ubisoft Plus features a curated select, uh, selection of popular games, will be 27 at launch, that will include Assassin's Creed Valhalla, The Division, and For Honor. <clears throat> Ubisoft Plus Classics will be available uh, when the new version of PlayStation Plus launches June 13th in America, June 23rd in Europe. While Ubisoft has officially announced the service, it was semi-revealed when Sony recently announced that Assassin's Creed Valhalla would be part of the the, uh, the new PS Plus service. Other games coming in the first 27 include Child of Light, Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon, Far Cry 4, Matt's favorite, Steep, South Park, The Fractured But Whole, The Crew 2, Trials Rising, Watchdogs, and Werewolves Within. However, Ubisoft also promises the classic collections will grow to more than 50 games by the end of 2022, and that there are, quote, more games planned in the future, end quote. So obviously this is a big, you know, this is part of the competition between PlayStation and, and Microsoft here. Uh, how do you guys feel about Ubisoft Plus joining PS Plus? Hmm. Uh, I don't think this entices me to buy the new PlayStation Plus tier, to be honest. Or the, the one up, I guess. The one up. I do think it's a good value, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything against that. But uh, this collection of games is very much like a, like a just a random assortment. Whereas with Game Pass, it is also a random assortment. But with Game Pass Ultimate, you're also getting your gold. You're also getting your... Uh, your Microsoft titles day one, and we can kind of assume what we're going to get. Like, you know, you're going to get your Halos. You're going to get your Bethesda titles now, those type of things. Um, same thing goes for Ubisoft, of course. But I just find that Ubisoft is just because Ubisoft is like one entity, one publisher, one developer, whatever. And I'm sure I know they have people under them, but let's just talk about like the over overarching like Ubisoft reach, I guess. Um, it's like 
I might be expecting like a Far Cry or whatever, but then it's like Steep is totally different than Far Cry, which is totally different than South Park. <laughs> yeah. The crew is totally different than like, you know, everything else. Watch Dogs is different. I don't even know what Werewolves Within is. And so it's like you're tacking on this sort of like really big like smorgasbord of stuff when in reality it's like if you're a Far Cry fan, you know, Ubisoft has, you know, Far Cry, let's say Far Cry 3 HD, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, Far Cry 4, uh, let's say, I'm not, and I'm not looking at this, so there's probably more, but like Far Cry 5, maybe Far Cry Primal, and Far Cry 6. It's like Far Cry, you know, 5, which is the second last one in the in in there, other than the middle one, which was New Dawn. Um, but like the last major iteration Mac is, I think it's close to, if not still full retail here in Canada on the PlayStation Store digitally, but it's constantly on sale for like 30 bucks, 25 bucks, 20 bucks. Um and so, like, I, I can only assume the same goes for this. So it's like, would you really want to pay a whole bunch extra for that PlayStation Plus tier when if you really wanted to play these older Far Cry games, you could have bought them during these sales by literally throwing them in your wish list. And like right, throwing yeah. them in your wish list and then just having PlayStation, the, the app notify you, hey, there's a game on your friends list for sale. And then you go in and you just purchase it. I just don't really see the value there myself. Um, that's my two cents on it. See, it's, it really depends on what kind of gamer you are, I think, because Game Pass is kind of attractive to both, uh, like hardcore gamers and, and the casual gamer, because it has a big backlog of old games, uh, on Game Pass that might interest, you know, uh, casual gamers who are just, just catching up or whatever. Um, and then they can also put the new Microsoft games, but, hardcore gamers it appeals to them because they want to play the new games day one right playstation right. plus it's like it's like all backlog and so it's really only kind of you know catering to people who are who are like you know like like playing games like years after they released like it makes more sense for someone like that just jumping into the uh, into the playstation platform for the first time or something um Rather than, you know, someone like me who I want to play the AAA games on launch day. Um, I do wonder what the difference yeah, is, is between like how much they're focusing on trying to develop value for people who are like core gamers <laughs> that are a lot of their business versus the people who might potentially be getting into the seen for the first time like someone who's yeah. just gotten a playstation right like there's a lot of upfront value there for somebody who has like no games and just got a playstation for the first time but for someone like like people like us who have multiple subscriptions on different platforms and already have like a significant library of games like the same value isn't there obviously mm-hmm. because we're kind of a different demographic you know what? This does feel like that you mentioned that, Tim. It does feel like the instant game collection that they used to have near the end ish of the PS3's era. But at the same time, you have to pay for it this time. The instant game collection, for anyone who doesn't know, was literally just a collection of games that you'd buy a PS3 and there would be, I don't know if they were digital codes or what, but it, you would have, uh, you would just receive like a collection of however many games, I don't know, 10 games, five games, whatever it was. And it was like some heavy hitting titles. And that's a gr- like, it was useless to me. Like if I were to buy a PlayStation three at that time, for whatever reason, have like the same mind broken, I bought one. The instant game collection was useless to me. Cause it's like, sure. I might not have some of them, but 
there's a reason why I didn't buy them because I'm already in it. But like as a newcomer, it's like, Jesus, like I'm, you know, I'm buying this one console and then I don't have to worry about like all this extra cost with PlayStation with uh, with like all these other games. I can just like jump right onto my PlayStation effectively and start playing all these games. It'd be the same here. It's like, OK, like they know how much is going to cost them per month. And then once they have that, you know, kind of built into their budget, now it's like, OK, I don't need to worry about oh the latest game came out. It doesn't matter. I'm working on these 27 Ubisoft games or like whatever. However, Matt, does this change your calculus here? Zombie is included. I we already have that it was given to us on PlayStation Plus. You see, <laughs> oh, but you was see, it really? like, yeah, hundred percent. Like, but the thing is, is it's like that's an that's an indicator of like for someone who's a veteran. Let's be serious, like a veteran of 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 gaming who has a large collection, especially in the PlayStation. If in this particular case. It it's it is less value. Like we've mm-hmm. we literally received that for free. I think yeah. Well, I think this is cool for people. You know, like we were saying, just you know, jumping into PlayStation uh, Plus now. Um, however, I I'm curious what their what Microsoft's deal is with EA and their um, what's it called EA Play. Sure, they've changed it so many times. I stopped paying attention to be honest. It used to be Origin something, right? I think it's now EA, EA Play. EA Access, yeah, which I think is now EA Play? Or is it still EA Access? Anyway, I, I'm wondering <laughs> if, their, if their deal has some sort of exclusivity at all, and if that service could also come to PlayStation Plus at some point. Because mm. they're both kind of similar to to Ubisoft Plus Classics, mm-hmm. where it's it's the older titles that they, they don't really make a lot of money on anymore. you know. And this is a way to kind of keep those games going and bring in some sort of income. Cause I think what we learned from the, uh, some of the Xbox deals is that they pay up front. Right. Oh, no, but the PlayStation deal, sorry. They, they pay up front. Um, yeah. What was that game that said, uh, odd world? Yeah. They said they got like a, just a pile of cash and then that was it. doesn't matter how good the game does. It doesn't do. You just get that cash. But anyway, I, I'm wondering if, if, uh, if uh, PlayStation could even add other services. I'm curious. Actually, if they're building this based on the numbers they have, which I assume they have, from the PlayStation collection that they gave to PlayStation 5 purchasers. Because there's a bunch of stuff in there, including Bethesda games. Like, there's a Fall, there's Fall 4 in there, for example. And I wonder yeah. whether there there is a group... Well, I'm sure there's some, but I like there's a, you know, a significant group of people purchase a PlayStation 5, purchase nothing else, and downloaded effectively the instant game collection, the PlayStation collection, whatever. And just there's a whole fuck like there's a whole fuckload of games in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people might still be playing Fallout 4 in there for, for Pete's sake. So, like, maybe they're building these things based upon the numbers they have there. But there is something else, too, with which is a problem with these with these subscriptions is that these games take a long time to do. And I found myself when I was playing Trek to Yomi. Wondering, like, I wonder if this is the last chapter. I wonder if this is the last chapter. And I realized myself, I'm like, why am I like, I'm not rushing the game. I'm still going down the side paths and stuff. But I'm like, why am I like eagerly anticipating the end credits? Like, why aren't I just like living, like kind of being in this game to enjoy it? And I feel like it's because we have too big of libraries, maybe like with these collections. It's like when we buy games, you know, that's more manageable. I know there's a bunch of people with big backlogs on their Steam, of course, but like when there's this like rotating collection on say like game pass and then the same thing on this new PlayStation plus service, it's like, am I rushing to the next AC? You know, 
Like, mm-hmm. am I, am I like quickly like jolting out and being like, holy fuck, we gotta do this. And then mm-hmm. like, it's even, even with the free games, like, uh, it's like we were playing, uh, Deep Rock Galactic for the longest time. That drops to nothing instantly. It wasn't like we slowly stopped playing. It's like that drops to nothing instantly. And then we're off to something else. And there are some exceptions, but it's like, it's one thing when you have your own collection of games and they give you maybe a couple free for a month. But when you're literally receiving a like a Netflix level library of games and now possibly two of them, if you have a PlayStation and an Xbox, it's like. Why do you have that many hours of games in there that are constantly being shuffled? There's literally no way to get through them all. Yeah, I, I found something changed with my perception of games when I got older, just as I got older. Um, I just feel like I don't sit down and play them as long as I normally do. You, my, uh, multiplayer games, I will. Like we've played for hours, you know. But that's more of like a social thing as well. But just playing single player games, even games I like, like Horizon, I just sit down and play it for like half an hour and then have to stop. And that's only happened in the last like five plus years. <clears throat> and I'm not sure what caused that. Is it like the guilt trip thing where people are like, I should be working? Well, I don't know if it's working, but it just feels like maybe I should be doing something else uh, in my life. Not that I have anything against video games, but it's just like that subconscious, you know, pressure of society. But what are you You like? So you 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 sit down, you do Horizon for you plan to play for two hours and you only play for half an hour. What do you do? Like, do you go like build a shed? Like, what you know what I mean? Like, what do you do? (laughs) No, that's the thing. I don't do anything productive is I'll I'll just like watch YouTube. It's just doing something uh, different, right? Yeah. 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 It's not wanting to commit. So I don't know. It's probably just the fact that we also have like as you get older, your interests change and there's other things you want to do aside from playing video games. So it's like, sure, you could just sit and play games the whole time, but then you're not pursuing your other interests. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's just a problem, I think, with our generation is there's so much content. And yeah. You feel the need do. to know about it all and absorb it all. And it just becomes tiring. But you um, know what? I, I we were talking about subscriptions before. And I wonder if there's a market for just a really simple app that calculates whether a subscription would save you money based upon your activities. Like something like Game Pass for me has saved me probably thousands of dollars because I I haven't purchased an Xbox game since except for Battlefield 2042, which was a great investment. Uh, Not but (laughs) it's like me buying Fallout 76. Oof. Um, But yeah, like it's one. It's just one of those things where it's like it saved me thousands of dollars. And like there's a bunch of other subscriptions that have Netflix has stuff like this here and there. I wonder if there's like an if there's like a, a market for an app where like you could be like, hey, like, should I get the subscription? You answer a series of questions and you get like, hey, this would save you, you know, ten dollars a month. So, like, I mean, maybe it's worth it then type of thing versus like, hey, you wouldn't use these games. So, you know, buy it later if you want or something. Interesting. Well, you know what? Um, I'm just doing some like back of the envelope calculations here. So if Game Pass Ultimate is like 15 bucks a month times 12, it's $180 a year. Mm-hmm. So if you if if Microsoft comes out with even, you know, let's say three, you know, of their big titles a year and you mm-hmm. play them, you've saved money. Well, plus plus gold. Remember gold. Right. Like, yeah. Like gold was like, what, 60 ish Canadian. Yeah. And if you're if you're only doing the Game Pass on Xbox or only Game Pass for PC, uh, you're even you're saving even more money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, definitely, I think it's it's worth it on that fact alone. And we have played Microsoft games, you know. All most of our stream stuff is is Game Pass because it's just we all know what library we have it in. Like grounded, we didn't have to buy grounded. I know Correct. it's still mm-hmm. in, in in preview, but uh, yeah, that we didn't have to buy that. So that's pretty crazy. Pretty good. Uh, I think Adriano might be onto something here, though, where he's he's kind of. He's one of those players that like waits years to play games and he doesn't even buy games anymore because so often they, they show up on some subscription service some service for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so stuff like this might actually work, work out for him. But I know he, he wants to get rid of PlayStation Plus, but uh, he's, he's CPS Game Pass. And I think that uh, works out in his favor. He, yeah. Does he have Game Pass? He has Game Pass, right? He has Game Pass PC. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right, let's move on here. So it is the uh, this this uh, article headline is not E3 2022 press conference schedule. So these are all the events that are happening that aren't E3, but are happening this summer. Um, and this was provided by GameSpot. Uh, so take these down if you if you want to know what's going on here. 505 Games Showcase, May 17th at 6 a.m. Pacific. These are all Pacific times. Um, which I find hilarious because because like most of the video game developers and video game press is like in California, and so they prioritize Pacific more than like anywhere else I see. Mm. Uh, Netflix Geeked Week, June sixth and tenth. Now here's the big one, obviously Summer Game Fest, uh, June 9th at eleven a.m. Pacific. Day of the Devs, June 9th. Uh, Gorilla Collective. I have no idea what that is. That's got to be that's Horizon though, right? That's the Horizon Dev. I don't know Gorilla if that's games. Yeah. That's not Gorilla Games though. Gorilla Gorilla Collective. Uh Man, I haven't heard of any of these except for 3 of them, I think. They feature a number of indie games and often include interviews uh and the news doesn't end with the show. Immediately afterward, the wholesome direct will air with news and trailers from the lighthearted games on the way. Yeah, all right. Cool. Yeah, all right. Uh, Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase. This is basically the E3. They're still doing their same E3 time, just not part of E3. I'm fucking excited for this. Like, I want to see what Starfield is. Like, I know that I I honestly think that Starfield might be a total fucking disaster, but I at least want to <laughs> see it. Like, I'm, I am excited to see what they're building because it, it doesn't need to follow the format and doesn't of, like, Fallout and Elder Scrolls. It's like, or as far as we know, it doesn't follow that format. So, like, I want to know what they've thought up after all these years of not making a new IP. Yeah, that'll be interesting, eh? Definitely. Um, and even with the delay, I think they're still going to show something off. Even with that Panzerati. Oh, yeah. we got to cash that in. <laughs> cash that in soon. What? So I it hanging Where's over it? my head. <laughs> keeping me I'm up at night. I don't my old man, my old man Panzerati. Man. <laughs> Uh, Tribeca Games Spotlight is on June 10th. Um, do I have a description of that one? Do I? Apparently not. No description of that one. And then uh, the PC Gaming Show, which is June 12th at 12.30pm. So right at, effectively right after Xbox and Bethesda. And I, I try to watch the PC Gaming Show, but it's like it's it's some deep cuts on the PC. Or at least maybe maybe there's like the hardcore PC guys uh, who who just know the, those games, but I don't know most of those games. I definitely have like some friends that are all PC, like usually all usually from uh, from college, like they're all PC mm. gaming all the time. 
and I'll have a conversation with them and they're like, what? And it's like the biggest news ever. Like, I'll be like, Starfield? Like, what? They're like, I don't know. But yet they know everything about like a huge, like, <laughs> quote unquote, huge indie game. You know, like that's their big news. And I'm like, Jesus, there's a whole like little sub. <laughs> there's a whole like little subculture in here, you know, where like these people are like, they're just like, they love like seven days to die and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I know of them, but like, this is the big news, you know, but to them, it's like, no, 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 this is. Yeah. Uh, I remember a few years ago watching the PC game show and it was like three hours or something. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculously long. And it was fucking long. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure who funds that though. eh? That's, that's not PC gaming, like the website, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. PC gaming mag. Yeah. PC mag. Um, all right. So what are you guys looking forward to? Anything? I mean, this is a weird year for these announcements. Summer Game Fest is probably going to have the, the widest array of announcements. Um, I want to see Fable. You want to see Fable? I want to see Fable and Starfield. Yeah. Fable gameplay would be pretty sick, yeah. Really good, yeah. That'd be Are we, is anyone expecting this? Have we, have we heard anything about this? No, it's just that it's been, what, two years since that teaser? One year? What is so time it would anymore? Be time. Yeah, it would be time. Like, was that pre-COVID? Year. I'm going to look this up now. Fable teaser. You know what? That would be a good game to start the show with. Mm-hmm. It would this be. Yeah. Was it was Xbox Showcase 2020? Yeah, it was. Wow. Uh, July, so that would be like what, like beginning of ago. COVID, right? No, it would have been a couple months after COVID was like March of 2020. Right. Yes. Is this but, one of those cases uh, though, where what you love about Fable is now being made by a completely different set of developers? I'm fine with that though. Like it's been so such a long time, and and like. I'm I I'm different from when I played Fable. Like I was pretty young, so like I'm down to to try whatever they make. I mean, unless they kind of give it that Saints Row treatment, of which I I can't fully pass judgment on that. I haven't played that new Saints Row, but that new Saints Row kind of looked like it was trying too hard. I hope they don't do that. But um, I'm down for some differences <laughs> for sure. Like I'm down for some more like modern Fable stuff. Yeah, no, I'm not looking for the exact same formula because honestly, like every Fable game is pretty different from the other ones. Fable one is very different from Fable two. Is very different from Fable three. That's a good point. Actually, two and three are definitely the most similar, but two is like far and beyond a better game than three. I feel like the Fable series is kind of like if Nintendo was a smaller company because they always tried to do weird stuff. Like they were always trying to break the genre. And try to do things in a different way. And for the most part, a lot of it was was cool and interesting, but a lot of it was also very gimmicky. Like the fact that there was no menu in Fable 3. You like teleported to the castle inside your mind or whatever. And then you like physically had your your gold hoard in a room. And there was oh, yeah. you had to amass <laughs> over like a 1.2 million gold or something so that your gold pile was high enough that you could reach a window up in the top of that room and find another chest. It was like all very meta stuff. And like that stuff is kind of cool, but when I'm just trying to go into a menu to swap some stuff around really quickly, but to yep. do that, I have to go into the menu of my mind that like loads this other like room <laughs> and then go from that room to the equipment room and then go to all the like dummies that are in that equipment room and, and equip the, the outfit piece that I'm looking for. It's very tedious and annoying. And to do that every time, it's like, it's an interesting concept, but it's not a good gameplay mechanic. So I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, Tim, that room, you and I were playing co-op 
And that co-op, I believe, was like same screen, if I want to, if, if I remember correctly. But anyway, I remember one of us got stuck in one of those doors and we and we couldn't leave or something because we were in a very specific like area where we couldn't leave that menu. You had to like go out into the main room or like something like that happened. And we were just stuck in there because one of us couldn't fucking move and the other one couldn't get by. And it's like, well, <laughs> this is a great system. Like, <laughs> I don't remember this at all. I, uh. I think it was like shortly after I beat the game and I was like on your save or something. But yeah, I do remember that moment. I remember writing off that like weird menu thing at that time, at that exact moment. Well, cause you like both went into that menu, right? When you were in mm-hmm. multiplayer. Yeah. That was annoying. I don't know. That just seemed to be like one of those things that you bring it up at, at the, the concept point of the development. And then people are like, oh, okay, yeah, like that's an interesting idea. Like maybe we can make it work. But it's one of those things that should have been left on the cutting room floor. You know, I agree. Like, yeah. When you actually play the game in testing, it's like, sure, it might be fun the first time, but it's not going to be fun the 150th time. You know, you know, what's interesting, too, is, uh, is like if you're a person that, you know, prefers uh, like a more realistic experience, like no fast travel you know, you walk everywhere and stuff like that. Um that type of room makes sense to switch your inventory around. However, the teleportation kind of doesn't. I mean, I guess there's magic, but the teleportation kind of doesn't. And it's like, I'm surprised no one brought up the fact that it's like, hey, this is kind of like a, like a, almost like a difficulty feature where for people that prefer a little more difficulty. And it's like, I guess we could put it in for them, you know, but it's like, this is like, you're right. Like, this is not going to be fun for the general player that just wants to like get to the objective. It's not even like a difficulty thing. Like, I feel like that's something that game developers need beaten into their skulls is that time commitment, like bigger time commitment does not equal difficulty. Yeah, like, that's a fair point. Takes longer doesn't mean it's harder. And like, I don't know if you're referring specifically to like the masochistic kind of players where, where they want everything to hurt every time they do it in a game. But <laughs> like there, you can have a game that doesn't waste your time and be hard. Yes which I feel like should be the vast majority of games, but like, yeah, I don't know. There's different cultural takes on it too. Like I find a lot of JRPGs subscribe to the uh, time commitment equals difficulty model mm-hmm. because everything in the JRPG is a grind. Maybe not getting through the like main story thing, but anything side or optional that you want to do, like, yeah, you're going to have to grind for a long time to be able to complete everything in games like that. And that's, the exact opposite of the kind of game that I like to play. So, which is funny because there are some JRPGs that I absolutely adore with my whole heart, but the vast majority of the market is basically just games that are jobs. Yeah, it's, um, it's sort of like, I remember when I, when I booted up follow four and I thought like, Hey, I'm a pretty good player or whatever. There was a survival difficulty that just made, you know, the enemies harder and I remember they were like, no, you know, there's going to be a patch and we're going to make survival difficulty like a survival mode. You have to eat, drink and get sick, this and that. And I remember spending the evening running around trying to make my person not sick. And then like I woke up one morning after like having this sickness for a couple of days and spending all my money to get medicine and this and that. Like there was a whole like journey around it. And then like there's a random chance of being sick, just like human. And then I went to bed after it was like, OK, thank like thank fuck. OK, I'm like going to go to bed in the game. And then save the actual game that I'm literally going to go to bed type of thing. And um, 
I remember like my character like woke up sick and I was like, all right, I'm done with this. Like, (laughs) it's just like, this is like, I understand, I guess that some people want things to be super difficult and it to be a mountain, but I'm like, fuck, like, fuck this. Like, what what am I supposed to do now? You know, do it all again. Yeah. It's like, just like restart. It's like, no, like I'm not, like I'd prefer to play the, at the very least, like hard or whatever the one below is, (laughs) you know, without all these other mechanics. It's not about the destination. It's about the long, grueling, repetitive, tedious journey. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what they always say, right? Always. Um, here's what I'm curious about, going back to the Xbox Bethesda showcase. Um, so apparently Aaron Greenberg said on Twitter that the show will be about 90 minutes. And in the past, their Xbox event ran an hour and 25. But now they have Xbox, Bethesda, and soon Activision Blizzard. Mm. That's a lot of games to show off. I'm going to guess everything's going to be shown in the first hour. And there's going to be half an hour for Todd to come out and show off Starfield. You think they're going to give him that much time again, like he did in 76? Because I think they made that. Per- I think they purchased Bethesda almost for Starfield. Or at least that's the impression I, I, I got from that purchase. They didn't buy it for 76. They certainly didn't buy it for 76. (laughs) I think that might be the game I've played the most ever, by the way. I think I think that's probably true. But they they, Todd Howard did say that it was like one of the one of the most, if not the most popular game on Game Pass. I mean, because because it's it's decent now, so you can do it for free and it's Mm -hmm. fine, you know? Yeah. At least that's at least that's my opinion. Like having over a thousand hours in the, in the game at this point, it's like I'm done. Like I, I've beat it. Like I'll come, <laughs> I'll come back for expeditions or whatever. But I remember you were saying like I'm surprised you're gonna miss out on this season. I'm like Ryan, I don't even know what the rewards are. Like yeah. I've done half this season. I'm up to level fifty <laughs> or whatever around there, and I couldn't even tell you what the fucking rewards are. Like I mm-hmm. like I, you know I'm my character is complete. I'm super rich. You know, it's just and it's not a glow. It's just I've literally played the game so much that I'm super rich. I can build what I want when I want and how I want. I don't care now. <laughs> like, yeah. like I just I, I've, I've played it. All right, let's move on to our next story here. NBC reportedly offered to merge with EA. This comes to us from IGN. According to Puck, both NBC Universal and EA's lawyers and bankers negotiated for weeks about how a potential merger would take place. Uh, the general proposal reportedly had the Roberts family take control of the combined company. But with current EA CEO Andrew Wilson running the company, if Wilson had been the CEO of the merged company, then the current NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell reportedly would have been given a higher role within Comcast, and Shell was reportedly involved with discussions as well. Uh, during the last month of discussions, the proposal didn't go through due to a disagreements um, surrounding the price of the merger and how it would be structured. But amid the mergers and acquisition trend in the games industry right now, EA reportedly spoke with other big companies such as Disney, Apple, and Amazon, about potentially being acquired. Uh, EA's interest in acquisition has reportedly increased since Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard earlier this year, though a primary concern for any merger for EA will allow Wilson to stay on as CEO of the combined entity. Um, It's kind of funny now that you have these big companies looking to be purchased by bigger companies. Like, this is some sort of, like, you know, business strategy now. EA felt like it was at least a couple years ago, like felt like it was big enough to be the one that would buy people like buy like the 
buy all the like uh, IP from a place and shut it down. Like it, that's the way I always kind of like, I don't know if they've ever done that, but like, that's the impression I got. It's well, like, they were almost like a Microsoft where they would like buy all the stuff, like buy all the IP, you know, or like buy the entire company and employ everybody there, you know, the, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, that's the impression I got from EA, but like, this is weird. They kind of did. They, they, they bought up some studios like, like Bioware and stuff like that. So they, they, they have been purchasing things, trying to grow, but yeah, it's just odd now to like want to sell. And I think Disney and Apple are kind of funny people to go to because Apple has never really shown a great interest in, you know, that type of gaming. Obviously they love mobile gaming because they make a ton of money off of it, but they've never shown interest in like, you know, console gaming and stuff. Is this, um, this might sound weird, but is this because of FIFA? Because they lost FIFA? Yeah. No, a, wasn't I, I that a billion so. wasn't that a billion dollars a year? What, in the micro microtransactions and stuff? I believe that FUT, which is FIFA Ultimate Team, I believe the last time I heard, unconfirmed by the way, uh at least unconfirmed by me. You spreading rumors? Uh, yeah. Uh That's but um uh, yeah. Uh but I heard it was a <laughs> billion dollars a year. I, I think I think I heard that too, Matt. Um and so it's like if that license is gone, I suppose they could still do an ultimate team. But are people going to buy it if it doesn't say FIFA on it? That's what I'm wondering. What are what are FIFA fans like of the game? What mm. are they what do they want? Do they want the title or do they want the the game? It'd be weird to play, you know, you know, soccer game 22. I don't hear anyone talk about Pez. Like Pro who, Evolutionary Soccer. Who owns Pez though? I don't remember actually. But you're just you're just Could, saying that there's not Konami? as much hype for that as as FIFA. Yeah, like um, like FIFA is you know if someone says soccer game, I you know I think I think of Pez if or I think of I think of Pez. I think of oh, there you uh, go. FIFA. Oh, Freudian slip. Uh, yeah, uh, big Pez fan. Never only played one of them <laughs> once, but like a huge Pez fan. Um, but no, like I'd it's like FIFA. Fez. <laughs> I'd rather play Fez, but no, like I'd. Uh, like soccer, you know, kind of is like synonymous in terms of video gaming with FIFA. So it's like if that if that license is gone, it's sort of like when EA took the exclusivity of a couple of different sport leagues for away from 2K uh, a number of years ago. I remember that was covered actually on G4 Tech TV at the time. Victor Lucas was talking about it where I think it's like the NFL and something else. So it's like the football game now. Like not soccer anymore. I'm talking like the like you like like U.S. football is Madden. Like that's the game. If you know, if you're not, if you don't have like like I'm pretty sure 2K can't do NFL, or at least they couldn't. Mm. You know, EA signed that like I don't know digital game agreement where they're like we have exclusive rights to these teams. And so I think like 2K maybe tried a couple of different ones like like college football and stuff like this. But it's like the game might be really good. It might be just as good as your last you know, 2K NFL game, but it's not like people are there for like, like they watch football and then they probably play football on their console. So like they want to, they probably want that like synergy of like the same league. Right. I would assume. Well, because you get to play as the, as the players and stuff too. Right. Which is kind of fun. I'd imagine. Um, can whatever soccer game EA makes, are they going to get the FIFA players? You know what I mean? Or are they going to have to find someone else? 
that's the question. Like, I'm not sure whether <clears throat> FIFA slash like the professional soccer is locked down. And I'm not sure if NFL is locked down anymore. Um, but and I think NHL might have been locked down, too. But it's like feet like to be honest with you, I haven't heard anything about Madden or NHL for years, but I do I hear heard. things about FIFA. Well, I, hear, I mean, Madden you hear stuff, but um, yeah, NHL, I haven't heard anything in a while. It's um, I wonder if they're, you know, it's obviously a little early to tell, but I wonder if they're a little worried about, you know, there goes a huge revenue stream because I don't know how much if, if that billion dollars is true, how much of that billion goes to FIFA and how much goes to them. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think they just feel jealous that that uh, <laughs> these other publishers are getting bought and no one's no one's asking them. Like, like, why didn't they go to Sony? It's kind of weird that they didn't go to Sony and say, hey, you know, Microsoft just bought Activision Blizzard. Do you want to buy us? But where no. does where does EA stand today? They have Bioware, which had a failed MMO or shared world <laughs> shooter. They have they just lost the FIFA license. They have Madden and NHL. Um, they had, you know, some controversial in terms of quality uh, Battlefront games, specifically the second one. Uh, you know, they have some games like uh, Fallen Order, this and that, like, sure, like, I'm not saying they're bad or anything. And I can't comment on the quality of sports games in general, really. But it's like where like that Battlefield game is a disaster, like their latest one's a disaster. The Battlefield 5, which I think is OK now, like it didn't get received well years back when it released. It's like where like what value really does EA offer somebody? They're not Sims. big in esports. Well, it's like sure, maybe Sims, but no. it's like, well, maybe like Sims and Sim City is is big, right? Like they they're big, but it's like where what's their current standing? Like, would you say they're in good standing? I wouldn't. I don't know actually. I really don't know. They're they're kind of an odd company right now. Uh, it's like remember when they were voted worst company in the world, which is mm-hmm. ludicrous, but. They got that two years in a row and like everyone kind of made fun of EA and didn't like them. Then they really changed their image for a bit there. Oh, for and sure. Then, and then again, like something happened and like people don't look at them as kindly anymore. Uh, so I'm not sure what's going on. They don't even have enough games ready for this uh, for an EA play this year. They, they, they canceled that. Because um, think about so I'm not like, sure it's what like, their current state is. It's like what like what's the. You know what? What's going to happen to? And maybe there is news about this that I haven't looked up. But it's like, what's going to happen to Battlefield? I mean, like Battlefield really should be a, We're working a top, on the next one, aren't they? They said they they that they're going to take the lessons learned from this one and put it into the next one. But it's <laughs> like, it's like I'm sorry to say this, but it's like you guys have fucking made Battlefields for years. Like maybe release something that's finished. Like I'm not trying to sound like a like a entitled gamer, but at the same time, it's like Jesus Christ, like a game that shuts off Xboxes and like you can't get each other up and there's only a few maps and the games are all like the, the modes are all fucked up. They're limiting the players. eh? they're getting rid of that big player mode. They're permanently limiting it to 64. Oh, maybe we can play with West family. But like, no, but the thing is, is it and, according, <laughs> and, and that's according to a tweet. I think it was from GameSpot. But um, it's like it's just one of these things where it's like. When we were playing it, like we had conversations where we're like, why the fuck is this mode like, you know, Battlefield's always chaotic, but it's like a like a fair chaotic, you know, Battlefield five is particularly, I would say, good at that, especially on some maps um, and in its patched state. But it's like, why is it that this, you know, Battlefield 2042, why is it so chaotic and like really unfair feeling? And we kind of came to the conclusion that it's like, hang on, you know, there's 64 players, so 32 on 32. Um you know, it's like if you raise the amount of players, why aren't the objectives going up? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
and I think it's I think it's just 128 total. So I think it's 64 v 64 is like the big mode. And if they're lowering it back down to 32, it's like, you know, they with the insights that they have should real should have realized in their balance testing been like Jesus, we need to somehow <laughs> split the player population on these maps. Like it's up to the players. If all the players want to attack one point and it's just a totally disaster of a, of a match, you know, welcome to online gaming. But like we need to have a reason for these players to spread out. Otherwise, we literally have. <laughs> This massive map and a massive amount of players and everyone's going to two or three points. It's like that's just total chaos, like to the point where no one even knows what the hell is happening. You know, it's just like, what's happening? Oh, I'm dead again. Up oh, again. You know, it's just like, what the, what the fuck do you do? It really wasn't fun when you would load in, run for five minutes, die, and then had to load back in and run for another five minutes. It's almost like because they doubled the number of players, like they doubled the size of the map and it's just like, the maps became too big. I don't think it scales the same way when just doubling the players means you need double the space. You know? Well, what doesn't make sense is you're doubling the space, right? Or you're you're raising the space, but you're you're telling everyone to go to two or three fixed points. So you're doing this, mm-hmm. it's the same, it's like you're effectively creating three little battlefields or two little battlefields, yeah. or sometimes even one. You know, like in, in five, when you're playing like um What's that one mode we always play? It's like kind of like Rush, but it's like it's kind of like Grand Operations from from Battlefield One. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Breakthrough. When you're playing Breakthrough, it's like if you, if there's three points you're defending and your first two points fall, that third point's going to be total chaos to the point of you're not even know what's going to happen. You're going to die over and over again. But that's almost like a punishment for having the rest of your map taken. Right mm-hmm. now, the enemy team has almost all of its forces, maybe minus some defending, going to one point. But imagine just it's the same thing, even though the map is larger, it's the same little three areas, you know, three like villages or whatever, some trenches, and it's it's double the players. It's like it just doesn't compute. It's like, no, you need another, you know, at least one point, if not two or even three points more to spread the players out. And then when it comes down to one, then it's just total chaos with 128 people. like that makes sense but like i don't know what they were doing man crazy thoughts tim where where do you stand on ea i don't really have much else to add i don't think you kind of (laughs) okay (laughs) covered all my all my points uh and finally here this this is kind of put in for myself uh embracer eyes sequels remakes remasters and spinoffs for deus ex tomb raider and more this is from ign so Embracer Group, if you don't remember, uh, they purchased um, some developers from Square Enix, and they are now the owner of Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, and other IPs um, that they see great potential in making sequels, remakes, remasters, and spinoffs of these franchises. Uh, revealed in the Colossal Holding Company's latest financial results, uh, Embracer said it had further strengthened its development capabilities and IP portfolio. By purchasing Crystal Dynamics, uh, IDOS Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal, which included Tomb Raider, uh, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane, and other IPs. In addition to the sequels, remakes, remasters, and spinoffs, Embracer also sees potential in transmedia projects across the group, later referring to similar initiatives from companies such as Netflix and Amazon. Um, this just excites me because I hope this means we get um, some Tomb Raider sequels, remakes, remasters, and spinoffs. I believe there was an animated show that was announced for Tomb Raider, so I'm not sure where that stands now that they've been sold. Um, but that's it. I'm just excited. So that's all I put that in there for. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have any comments. 
Well, you and I were talking about the size of this company, right? Like Embracer used to be oh, THQ Nordic yeah. or something. They're massive, yeah. Oh, they changed name? I didn't realize that. And they basically own everything. And uh, they own uh, Dark Horse Comics. They own half the board games out there. Um, so a Embracer, ton of video games. Well, Embracer was formerly known as Nordic Games Licensing AB and THQ Nordic AB. So THQ Nordic, I believe, still exists as like the publisher or whatever its video game mm, like right. self is. It's making me want to boot up uh, Titan Quest and see if they've updated the game to change the intro logo from THQ Nordic. Oh, <laughs> it's like 15 year old game. <laughs> I don't know. They, they update that game randomly sometimes. And I'm just like, why the hell are they updating this? So it might be for that. Who knows? Well, you said they owned uh, Dark Horse, right, Ryan? Dark Horse Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, and they I'm looking at this is from Wikipedia. So like I'm looking at this chart of all the things they own. And it's like, for example, it's like they own Gearbox Entertainment, which includes Cryptic Studios, Gearbox, Gearbox Publishing, Soft, uh, Gearbox Software, Gearbox Studio Quebec, Gearbox Studio Montreal, Lost Boys Interactive, Gearbox Publishing San Francisco. And that's one example of several <laughs> that they own. <laughs> um, last I heard about the Tomb Raider games is they're going to make a game that was going to bridge the gap between the original games, like where we see Lara Croft in those games and where she's coming from in the kind of, you know, prequel origin games. Um, I've been, I've been tweeting at, uh, <laughs> at uh, Crystal Dynamics a couple times now saying I want a Tomb Raider game set in the seventies, but they haven't responded. But that's my pitch. That's your pitch for that? Like Yeah, that's it. Just just set it in a different time period. Because that would be awesome. Anyway, that's all we got this week. Uh thanks for listening, folks. And uh Tim. Yes, do your right. thing. I I can't. I'm I'm too tired to stream right now. Well, he's on the Twitch uh at twitch.tv slash uh the sidetrack. Oh, you mean talk about my thing. <laughs> Oh, you you were gonna stream right now. I was gonna stream gonna... right now. I was getting, I was booting everything up. Oh man, jeez, <laughs> you totally fooled me. But right what are you? Are, are you are you Monday to through Friday now? Is Monday that to Friday. Yeah, I try to. I try to do five days a week, unless some extraneous circumstances come up. I do Monday to Friday. Uh, have been for a couple months now, actually, and it's uh, it's been it's been good. I thought that it was gonna be hard transitioning to more days a week, but it really it really hasn't been. I think it's it's just. Uh, it's more fun to be consistent, I guess. But um, yeah, like I said, I, uh, I've been playing Tunic. Uh, I'm at the last boss. I don't know if I can beat it, honestly. I might, <laughs> I might just try to do it over the weekend. And then like, if I beat it, I'll save the clip and and then put that on on stream or something. I don't know. But uh, I don't, I don't want to just like sit there for a whole stream and try to keep fighting a boss over and over again. Oh, yeah. Like, for like sure. I said, it's, it's like, it's not... It's not like Dark Souls where it, it would be fun if I could just like do it right. I feel like it's not so much about me. It's more about getting good RNG that the boss doesn't spam unpunishable moves over and over again. But mm. uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, might start up something new. I've been thinking actually about I've never played them 
And it would be kind of a long time investment, but I've been thinking about starting up the Mass Effect series. Which, oh, yeah, would be, yeah. which would be such a big commitment, but that's a big I one. Feel, I feel like it could be uh, it could be fun to because I have the legendary edition. I got it on oh, Steam like a long man. time ago. I think somebody maybe bought it for me for my birthday when it came out. But um, I'm excited. I would I would I wouldn't be opposed to to playing some some Mass Effect. Oh yeah. So we'll it see, is on uh, it is on uh, Game Pass by the way. Oh, there you go. Download it today at gamepass.microsoft.gov that's not right at all that's i don't even think it's not close at all i don't think (laughs) it's probably not gamepass.com is it maybe not even microsoft Microsoft i mean i think it's xbox yeah oh is it Uh, it's xbox okay fair enough anyway uh then you can catch our uh, stream on uh, wednesdays at twitch.tv slash day one patch media uh 8 30 probably nine ish um (laughs) realistically uh eastern Usually. See ya. Peace.